She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and we are here again with Miss Chloe Skye. I'm here. Hi, Chloe. Hi. Chloe is here, and if you weren't listening the last two weeks, we are in the middle of Pride Month here in the United States, and I think around the world. And this particular Pride Month, we are focusing on trans women for many reasons, the foremost of which is that there's a lot happening with the fight for trans rights right now in the United States, and trans women's stories are some of the most, like, shut out in general, and we don't hear their stories. And I'm sick of it, and I know Chloe's sick of it, so I invited her to join me this month, and we're talking about trans bras. That's right. Yeah, and we kicked off the, the month with a replay of Marsha P. Johnson, the iconic trans activist from the Stonewall riots through the first brick, supposedly, in quote marks. Then last week, we were talking about the amazing Raquel Willis. Very impressive woman. She is a today broad. She's a today activist. If you have not listened to that episode, please listen after this one or pause and go back and listen. Yeah. But Chloe, today you brought me somebody new. I did. Who I don't think I know. Uh, probably not. So uh, stop me if you've heard of Mademoiselle Chevalier Dion. Absolutely not, because French names like stick in my brain heavily, and I do not remember that one. And that's like, well, maybe it's fake French, but it sounds French. It is indeed French. This woman, I, in part because, you know, there's there's all these talking points these days of people being like, being trans is a fad. It's new. Everyone's making this up. Blah, blah, blah. A fad. I was like, I would like to dive into the history books. Uh, this is abroad from the 17th century. 17th century? Yes, that's that right. That is an old trans broad. <laughs> it sure is. My God. She was a transgender spy for France. <gasps> Perhaps one of her biggest accomplishments was negotiating the end of the Seven Years' War. Wait, what? A trans broad negotiated the end of the war? That's right. Uh, nobody knew she was trans at the time that that happened. Uh, oh my God. As we'll find out <laughs> through this story. Her life is sort of split directly in half, where the first half she was stealth living as a man, and then the second half she was like, no, I'm a woman. We will also see how things have changed quite a bit in terms of trans acceptance, but they also haven't changed that much. But honestly, we'll talk about it, but I feel like on, on some level, people were more accepting of her trans identity in the 1700s than they are these days. Well, we've taken huge regression, regressive yeah. steps backward in the last couple of years here. Yes. With like the return of the like super conservative religious movement around the world. It's oh, it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. It's terrifying. It's crazy. But hey, here we are. <laughs> so before I, I get completely started, I would like to acknowledge that there are many cishet white male historians who say that uh, Chevalier Dion was not a transgender woman. They said that her huh. coming out and living as a woman for the second part of her life was a social or political strategy. There's a couple of points in the story I might I might talk about it at the end. I might talk about it on our way through. Not sure yet, but uh, points where they say, well, the only reason she did this 
they wouldn't say she, but I'm saying she. The only reason she did this is for this reason. For like publicity and shit. We'll we'll talk about it. It's sort of that. Oh it's sort of something else. I already hate all these historians. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like there's one particular, I didn't write his name down because fuck him, but there's one particular male cis white historian who's like sort of championed the charge of like she was definitely not transgender and all of the other sources that I found as I was doing my research point to his book as the, as the reason they are claiming that she's not trans either. And I think it's notable that not a single one of these people is actually trans. So their opinion on what trans is, is also a bit off. So I am going to speak for, for myself as a trans <laughs> person and say that the story feels like she's a trans woman. I cannot wait. I can't wait to learn about her, Chloe. So, she was born October 5th, 1728, in the town of Tonnerre, which is southeast of Paris. She was born with the given name Charles Genevieve Louis Auguste André Timothy Dion de Beaumont. Is it Louis or is it Louis? It's Isn't probably it Louis? Louis, yeah. Charles Genevieve <laughs> Louis Auguste André Timothée Dion de Montbain. <laughs> to give my shitty French accent a, a go. Sounds like Timothy Chalamet's great 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 grandmother. Probably, you know, <laughs> it's possible, I guess. I have um, no idea if they're related, but that's the closest modern name I could think of that is so... It's There's, 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 some, <laughs> there's some similarities, for sure. Um, she was born to a minor aristocratic family. Uh, she excelled academically. She graduated from law school. She became a political writer, social justice advocate. Um, she fought for financial reforms. Again, these are all under the assumption that she is a man, so patriarchy was like yeah you you get a free pass to do all these things you want to do because you look and sound like one of us but throughout her entire life she's consuming feminist literature she's collecting books and encyclopedias about the achievements of women Um, she frequently wrote critically about gender analyzing the differences between between men and women and frequently is known to write things like women are better than men women are more virtuous than men women are living better lives than men i think that all men should strive to be women huh. okay These, those are all like okay. sort of direct quotes obviously she wasn't writing in english but you know these are this is these are her words <laughs> i love it <laughs> So in 1756, she becomes a French spy in Russia. She's officially the French ambassador to Russia as a member of Louis XV's uh, Les Secrets du Roi, which is, means King's Secret, which is a, a network of spies and diplomatic agents whose ultimate aim was to put Louis XV's cousin on the Polish throne uh, so that Poland would be like a French satellite nation and sort of like... He would be like a puppet leader. Sounds about right for the the monarchy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so her mission is to foster good relations with Empress Elizabeth of Russia, slowly convincing them to want to install Louis's cousin onto the Polish throne. And she was honestly really good at her job. Like everyone loved her. She did a great job with the you know fostering relationships with Russia. However, that year also marked the beginning of the Seven Years' War, which was between France and Britain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, 
This war was not a good war for France. They were not doing well, and Dion <laughs> had to leave Russia for a stint in the in the French army. She became a dragoon. It's like it's sort of like a captain in the army, and so she fought in a bunch of battles, and then eventually she is sent to Britain to attempt to negotiate peace. And again, she's very likable, uh, very good at diplomatic you know, with her experience in Russia. And so she did, in fact, negotiate the Treaty of Paris, which ended the war. Oh, my God. So then she's awarded... At this point, this is before she's transitioned. So she's accomplished these things in her assigned gender. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Just checking to make sure. Yeah. She's going by her dead name, and everyone assumes that, that she is a man. She's only 35 years old at this time when she ends the war. And then she is awarded the Order of St. Louis, officially becoming a chevalier, which is the French version of a knight. That checks out with my knowledge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she is she is knighted for ending this war. Oh my God. She's 35. She's 35 Jesus. years old. She's been knighted. One of these stupid broads who makes me feel incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did have a, a little bit of, you know, assumed privilege. Uh, what's, what's known in the trans community as conditional privilege. Privilege mm. on the condition that you remain your incorrect gender Mm, so the treaty of paris basically took all of france's colonies in north america away from france and gave them to england this leaves france full of debt and of course louis 15 is hungry for revenge so now louis 15 has come up with a new plan which is go foster good relationships with britain and slowly stow enough dis- discord that we are able to invade Britain eventually. Mm. So she's now planning a secret invasion <laughs> of Britain for the president of France or the, the king king of France. Yeah. And she's it. basically been a spy the whole time, right? Yes. Like she's been kind of like undercover. Yes. Not only undercover in her gender, but undercover in her. <laughs> exactly. I, which I think is part of what makes trans people such good spies is like we're very good. <laughs> at pretending to be people that we're not. Uh, we have per- perhaps that's... some of the most experience doing such. It makes sense. Although it does like make me sad to like think about that out loud. <laughs> but yes, yes, that does make sense. That yep. checks out. Yep. It's bittersweet the whole way down, but this is the world we live in. She is then appointed uh, an ambassador to the British court, but she she had a penchant for expensive habits. So she liked to import like fancy wines and... Like, she just figured this is, like, part of the job. I'm supposed to look wealthy and, you know, get in the good graces of these other wealthy people. And I gotta, I gotta fit she's the lifestyle. She's got, like, King Louis credit card and shit. Exactly. So she's just like, okay. Yep, yep. That's right. <laughs> Fuck, the company card was nice back then. Eventually, the cash-poor French government starts reprimanding her for importing too much wine and etc. <laughs> And they decide that they're gonna they're gonna replace her with some other some other guy some stooge you know uh, this guy's name is Comte de Guerchi <laughs> no I'm pronouncing that wrong <laughs> but he is he's on his way to Britain but she is aware that this guy is not well liked and he's also not very experienced and he's not very good at like politicking. So even though she knows, like, this guy's coming to replace me, she starts writing all these letters to King Louis being like, if you do this, you're making not only me, but also you politically useless. Like, this is a terrible decision. <laughs> She's, like, trying to, like, get it reverse however she can. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Um, Does it work? 
It it does not. She is she is fired and ordered to return to France. But she's like, I don't want to go back to France. Like everyone's poor there. I'm kind of enjoying my time in Britain, being like a a drunken spy, <laughs> just hanging out with royalty all the time. And she also figured. If I do go back, they're probably going to just send me to prison for, like, spending all of the king's money and, <laughs> you know, doing – just living my Ribaldus <sighs> lifestyle. Is that a word? Ribaldus? I'll look it up right now. Oh, no. That's – I think that's not the right use of the word. Ribaldist. Referring to sexual matters in an amusingly coarse or irreverent way. So basically, like – Okay, yeah. So that's probably not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I mean, although I think I think she probably also did do that. <laughs> in the courts of the kings and the queens? Yeah. Oh, no, actually, you probably had to be kind of proprietary with those fucks. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. So she probably wasn't very ribald. She was she was just uh, living in excess. Living in excess. Which which they were doing themselves, the, the monarchs, so. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> On the dime of the people, um, as it were. So she she's she thinks she's going to be sent to prison if she goes back to France. So she asks the British that she's working with, she's like, "Hey, can I just stay here as a private citizen?" And the British pri- or the British foreign minister who really likes her is like, "Yeah. Yeah, we don't have to extra. You why don't you just stay here with us?" Even though she was like working against them? Well, they didn't know she was working against them. Like she's like, <laughs> you know, cozying up to them, fostering good relations. Like they all they're all like, "Hell yeah." You're awesome. Stick around. Oh, my God. And and because I think partly also because Britain, they're probably, you know, on their high horse because they just signed this treaty that stripped France of all its properties. And like, so if France is like, hey, that person that we sent you that that you really like, like, send her back. They're like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Why would we do anything you want us to do that? You must have some other kind of shit going on. So yeah. they, they refuse to extradite her and they're like, yeah, stick around. Be a private citizen. We'll, we'll, we love you here. Do they give her a credit card? Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm well, just kidding. kind of. <laughs> oh, my um, God. The, the French foreign ministry at this point makes several attempts to kidnap her, to, to bring her back to France. Um, so she tries something new. She blackmails Louis XV <gasps> and says, hey, if you if you keep trying to do this, I'm going to tell all these British people that you're planning on invading Britain. Oh, my God. <laughs> she's like... <laughs> so... She's so ballsy. Like, for lack of a better term. She's yes. like... She's like... That's yeah. like... What the fuck? <laughs> she's like, stop trying to kidnap me. I'm a private citizen over here. If you don't stop, I'm going to spill the beans. I'm going to tell them that you're... You know, you, the only reason I was here in the first place is so that you could take over. Does it work? It That initial letter is not the thing that does. They, they keep trying to arrest her and whatnot. So she uh, makes the first big move, and she publishes a book titled Letters, Memoirs, and Negotiations, <laughs> which contains several French state secrets <gasps> and a number of the letters back and forth between her and King Louis since she's been appointed the role in Britain. Oh my she promises God. at the end of this book, there is much more to come. I will publish that in future volumes. Oh my God. <laughs> this Britain chick. Britain absolutely loves this. 
But she was like, Britain is like, she become like a celebrity, she's like right? A celebrity. Yeah, she becomes a celebrity basically overnight. She publishes this book. She's turned on her home country. She's telling everyone in Britain about all the king's secrets, and they love it. Oh my god. France is obviously not pleased. Uh, you can find a bunch of like newspaper cartoons that they published of her like on all fours like looking like a donkey creature just like vomiting state secrets all over the british population oh my god it's like weird stuff oh my god the time. but it's uh yeah i recommend looking up this story because i'm sure all these cartoons will show up at this point louis 15 is is also a little bit savvy he's he's now aware that chevalier dion is protected because she has this thing on him like she could reveal way more secrets reveal the whole plan blow this whole thing up basically start back up the seven years war (laughs) but also she is now in a position where she's even more useful as a spy because britain has completely sided with her they think she's completely turned on france so she now has even more access than before Yes. So no one in Britain's going to suspect her of being a spy for France. So he's like, okay, look, you can stay there. We'll pay you 12,000 li- livres a year. I don't know how to pronounce the French currency. <laughs> livres? Livre? Livre? I don't livre, know. You're, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> um, like 12,000 French dollars a year for the next decade to continue sending British state secrets back to France. Oh, my God. And also, she's supposed to return the other documents that she's threatening to publish. Like, just send those back. And (laughs) she's like, I'm not going to send you back those documents. I will send you the new state secrets. Like, this is my leverage, obviously. Obviously, that's her leverage. She's not going to give it up. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So they're at a stalemate, and they decide to continue mutually using each other. And now during this next decade where she's living in in Britain is when these rumors start spreading that Chevalier Dion is and perhaps always has been a woman. How these rumors started is up for debate. Uh, There's a lot of people who believe Dion started them herself. Uh, going around and was just telling people like I was actually born a girl but I was forced to live as a man because my dad wanted an heir and he was like a tyrant and he just really wanted to have a boy so he just made me be a boy so I've been pretending to be a boy this whole time and I've actually always been a woman okay how does it go the rumor gets to such a point that the British stock exchange ha- like you can go place bets on whether or not she's a woman or a man Mm-mm. <laughs> they, and and it's three to two in favor that she is actually a woman and was never a man. Oh, my God. So, like, people are like, yeah, it's probably true. She's probably a woman. Like, she's probably been a woman all along. Like, assigned female at birth and has just been pretending to be a man. Oh, my God. Is there? Did your research show, like, where the rumors started? Like, who, was it just... So that's one of the big contentious points of this whole thing is, like, the cis white male historians are like, well... She just liked to dress up as a woman to hide from, like, French debt collectors who were, like, looking for her. So she'd, like, dress up as a woman to hide from them. And then people would, like, see her in that costume and were like, maybe she's actually a woman and has just been pretending to be a man. And then trans historians are like, she probably always wanted to be a woman and that was one of the ways she was expressing herself is like dressing up like a woman in private or even going out to see if she could pass because that's something that's very common in trans experiences. Right. It's just like 
testing it out, like seeing how it feels going out in public. And if she was doing that one night and got recognized for any reason, that could easily start some rumors. Whether or not it was like, ah, I have to hide from my debtors or like, this is something I'm doing to express myself because as she wrote about in her own writings and stuff, like her memoirs, she believed women were better than men. And she believed whether you were a man or not, you should be a woman. Right. Like you should try to be a woman. That's the way that like people are supposed to be women and men are bad. So as to where exactly the rumor started is completely up for debate. Huh. Everyone disagrees on it. But she sort of leaned into it, as we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> but it did it did immediately start causing trouble for her because all of a sudden, whenever she's out in public, people like run up to her and are like, take off your pants. Like we, uh. we need to settle. Like we need to find out who's going to win the stock exchange bet. Oh like, we've all been putting money down. Like oh my we need God. to find out the truth. <laughs> Oh, so, so like all of a sudden it's like a daily thing that like random like poor Londoners are running up and like telling her to rip her pants off. Jesus. So of course she goes down to the London Stock Exchange. She finds out the names of all the people who have placed bets and she challenges them all to duels. Oh my God. And she's like, if you placed a bet on whether or not I'm a woman, let's fight. Let's see. Let's test it out. Let's see who really is. She's a very good fighter, right? She's Good at yes, her job. Yeah, she great... was in the army. Yeah. She was, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like a commander during the war. Like, yeah. Okay. Whew. So now she can't leave her house without armed guards. And there's all of a sudden a bunch of like British cartoons showing up in the British newspapers showing her like split down the middle as half man, half woman and asking like, which is real? Like, we don't even know about this Chevalier Dion character. And it just becomes like the talk of all of Britain. Which I think is ironic because it's currently the debate that's ravaging Britain. <laughs> it's whether trans people are their, the gender that they say they are. So yeah, this this goes back. Oh, is that a big debate in Britain right now? I didn't even realize. I thought this was a like a U.S. only bullshit issue. It's happening in Britain too. Honestly, it is significantly worse in Britain. Like as as horrible as it is in the United States, it's way worse in Britain. Which is part of why I'm like. You know, I I can't hate J.K. Rowling for believing the false things that she believes because she's living in the country right now that has the most and the worst propaganda against trans people. Oh, my God. I did not even know that. I mean, it makes oh, sense. Yeah. No, We're not letting her off the hook. We're not letting J.K. off the hook here. But no, Jesus. definitely not. That's so disheartening. But this is not a new problem for England. Like this this has been going on at least since the 1700s. That's so absurd. And I feel like also feel like Britain has this whole entertainment wing that's all like men cross-dressing but like they're straight men or whatever and they're not trans. So like I feel like it's like culturally something that they've like embraced in a like a weird not reality way but and then in the reality part of it they completely reject it. It's like Pretty much. Ugh. That's crazy. Okay, anyway. Back to Chevalier Dion. So in 1772, a French secretary is sent to London to investigate and find out the truth of whether or not she's really a woman. <laughs> so he so he shows up and goes to her place and they do a, like an interview and then he leaves and goes back to France and is like, yeah, she's a woman. And they're like, how do you know? And he's like, she told me she was. <laughs> This guy. And that's literally the extent of his job. She said she was a woman. She's a woman. That, that's what you sent me to do, right? 
He didn't even, like, try to do the whole, like, show me your, your private parts and stuff like that. He just, like, took her word for it and then just went back. Just took her word for it. Which, honestly, like, the the alliest ally of them all. I guess so. I'm just, like, surprised <laughs> you know? that his bosses would, like, accept that. He didn't, like, go home and get fired? Uh, they just no. accepted, they all accepted that? Yeah, they just, they all accepted it. They were all like, oh, well, shit, I guess she was a woman that whole time. Good and what know. happened in Britain? Did they like was the were the bets disbanded or like are the bets still going on? I don't think it ended the bets. Like I think that, that like wasn't enough evidence for most people, because there's a point like after after her death, they examine her body like after she officially dies, and that like is the final clincher on all those bets. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So two years after that thing happens, Louis the Fifteenth dies. Louis the Sixteenth isn't really interested in invading Britain. He's like, you know, this whole plan, that was my predecessor's plan. He was the one who had all the beef with Britain. We don't need to do this. We also don't need there to be a secret spy ring. I got my own shit going on. So he approaches Dion and is like, give up all the documents and the papers from while you were in Britain and you can you can come back and everything's going to be great. You don't have to be a spy anymore. She's like, okay, I'll do this if you pay off all of my debts and publicly acknowledge me officially as a woman. Oh. If you do that, I'll come back. Okay. And this is one of the big points where I'm like, okay, she's definitely trans. Because at this point, you have an out if you want an out. Right. Like, if this is just something you're doing because you're trying to escape your debtors, you you don't say, I'll only come back if you publicly acknowledge that I am and always have been a woman. Okay. And they accept it? Are they, like, sure? That's what happens. So Louis Sixteenth says, yep, you can come back. You are a woman. You've always been a woman. But you have to wear, you have to dress as a woman at all times. You have to wear dresses. You have to wear corsets. You have to do the whole woman thing you can't keep dressing like a man if you are a woman that's unacceptable but was that i mean was was she happy about that like do do you get a sense that that was fine with her at that point like she was just ready to hang the pants up or whatever well the so the way she returns to france is wearing her military uniform oh shit it's like the opposite of what he says. It's the exact opposite of what they asked her to do. Uh, she is kind of a stinker. <laughs> she's always been kind of a stinker. So she's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that here. Here I am. I, I fought for this army. I think that should, I should be allowed to acknowledge that at least some of the time. I, I am the person who accomplished the end of the seven years war. Like you can't just make me wear a dress all the time. But then he, the, the, then the, the government passes a royal decree that forces her into women's dress full time. Like just about her, uh, like like being like this particular, this one woman has to dress in her dress the whole, all the time. There was like a one law passed for her. There's, yes. Oh my God. Literally, the, monarch, the monarchy of France passed an official law just so that she would wear dresses. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> something like such a waste of air like what the fuck like they use the government to like pass a law because she was not yeah. list- obeying the king and i have to wonder how many men were sitting around a room just being like well we have to officially announce this like this has to be a law and how much time that they wasted to do this oh my God. But because, you know, she's well-connected, she's upper class, to get her new wardrobe, she is sent to Marie Antoinette's clothing director <laughs> named Rose Burton. Oh, my God. Uh, Rose Burton has, has come out and said that this is where 
Dion confided in her that despite the fact that she feels like a woman and she wants to dress like a woman, she doesn't know how. Specifically says, it is harder to dress one single woman than to dress an entire company in the French military. She's specifically talking about fucking like just corsets. All of the, Those fucking corsets, man. Yes. <laughs> They're so complicated. Yep. Literally, just, just the number of steps there are, the amount of makeup you have to put on. Like, There's so many rules that go into dressing a single woman that it's more complicated than dressing an entire army. I mean, I don't think she's wrong. Let's be let's be real. I don't either. <laughs> Those dresses. I would fully agree. Those dresses are crazy. Yep. Like Bridgerton skips over that shit, but like those dresses are hard to get on and off. <laughs> yep. Uh, so November twenty first, seventeen seventy seven, uh, Mademoiselle La Chevalier Dion had her public reveal at the court of Versailles, and reporters and onlookers all rudely commented that she was not attractive. So, like, the next day after her, her public debut, there's a bunch of newspaper articles being like, yeah, we went and saw her. She's she's pretty ugly, actually. Oh, my God. She's, like, a pretty masculine-looking woman. Like, she kind of, yeah, we were hoping for better. This, this was a disappointment. Oh, my God. That's terrible. Yeah, I can't imagine that felt very good. <gasps> oh. And there's also, like, a, a diarist named James Boswell who wrote how she, like, shirked all the traditional gender norms and, like, refused to perform, like, etiquette, like, all the, the mm. like, stuff that women are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Like, she just didn't. And he wrote, Never before had I beheld a woman whose manners were so absurd, so masculine, and so unsuitable to her sex. Even so, uh, society kind of looks at her like they... I, I, I'm not sure exactly who this is, but a couple sources said that society like was hailing her as a heroine and like sort of put her on a pedestal like they did like Joan of Arc. Huh. Like they looked at her as like this incredible woman who pretended to be a man so that she could, you know, end a war and like save France and like people like really, really like her. Was there any like did you find in your research any reaction from her after her debut like were there any journals or like was she disheartened by it or did she just even just not give a shit at that point or she basically I mean I don't know exactly what her response was to like the public perception of her but she wrote that living full time as a woman had lost her almost all of her former privileges that she had had when she was living as a man. Huh. She was like, no one takes me ser- no one takes me seriously anymore. Huh. My political voice has been completely muted. In, in 1778, the next year, when France wants to go join the American Revolution and help America beat the British, she petitions the government. She's like, look, just let me go to war. Like, I want to fight for my country. I've done it before. I want to do it again. Just let me wear my dragoons and go to war. And the French government responded to that by forcing her to go into a convent. Oh, my God. That's the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, like, they're fully treating her like a woman. Like, lack of privilege and all. She is experienced. Like, she went from utmost privilege to 17th century woman almost overnight and was like, wow, this fucking sucks. This is the (laughs) first time we've, like, really had this particular, like, flavor of story told, I think, on this podcast, where we have this, like, almost black and white comparison of, like, your life before you came out and then your life after you came out and how many rights a man versus a woman legit had. Like, fuck. 
And that's the other part of why I'm like, okay, she was definitely trans. Because if she wasn't, she would have had a couple of weeks of having no privileges anymore and would have been like, fuck it, I'm a man. Here, take a look at my penis. Ta-da, let me go back to being a man. Yeah. But she never did. Like, she lived the rest of her life as a woman. As a nun. It was the rest of her life in the nunnery? Did she have to go to, to the nunnery? No, no, no. She she avoided that. She conceded and kept on the corset? <laughs> yep. Yeah. She was like, okay, fine. I won't go to war. Just don't make me go to the convent. And like all the men that used to be her friends and like all the, pe- the higher up political figures are like, look, if you want to have political influence, like you actually want to like sway any of these leaders, you have to marry somebody with sway in court. Like, if you marry some dude who's well-connected, then you can convince him to convince us. But you can't, but you can't just convince us. Like, Gross. you have to do it through a husband. That's the only way. Gross. So, I mean, she does She does continue to be, asked, like, she keeps asking, like, can I please go to war? Can I please go to war? Can I please go to war? And the government responds to that by throwing her into a dungeon. And they keep her there for three weeks. <sighs> and only after she promises that she will stop asking to go to war. In 1785, she moves back to England, where she is welcomed as a heroine. And unfortunately, four years later, the French Revolution begins, and the French government, they're running out of money. Again. (laughs) They're running out of power. This is like a repeat story for France. France just keeps running out of money. Yeah, 17th century (laughs) wasn't good for them. (laughs) So they suspend her pension, and now she is also penniless, basically, much Mm. like her government. So in order to remedy her sudden lack of income, she starts performing fencing exhibitions in full women's garb. So she's like, I'll, you know, throw on the whole dress, the corset, do the whole thing. And also let's fence. Did she make some money? She did. She did pretty well doing it. Um, not not like a t- like nowhere near the money she was making before. Right. But it offered her both celebrity and like a stable income. But so she starts traveling around Britain as like a woman warrior. In 1792, she leads an army of women for the French National Assembly against the existing French government. So she's supporting the French Revolution and also arguing basically like women should be allowed to like fight. So here is an entire army of women that I put together. She's just trying to go back to war. She just wants to go back to war. (laughs) Basically. Oh my God. Like it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Four years after this, uh, 1796, she is badly injured in a fencing tournament and has to retire. So now she's more broke than ever because she's lost her income source. So she moves in with this elderly woman named Mrs. Cole and basically becomes a shut-in. I didn't find any information about whether or not these two had any sort of romantic relationship, but it's also like historically, if there was... Two women living together, like, male historians would be like, well, yeah, they were just best friends, obviously. Clearly nothing was happening there, and, like... Just old biddies. Just two old biddies. Yeah. <laughs> yep, just two old biddies living in a house together. Nothing to, nothing to see here. So I, th- I think it's possible. There's literally no evidence to support it, but, you know, just to mention it. I mean, literature is full of, like, two women, two old biddies living together peacefully they're such nice friends such pleasant yep i mean it's all the fuck over everywhere like yep these these unmarried women who were best friends and never looked at or talked or spoke to men ever clearly were not interested in each other and they were so happy they were such happy people (laughs) they were the happiest people around actually it's weird 
can't imagine why they weren't getting any dick. You know, like <laughs> I meant to say this earlier when you were talking about the nunnery threat. It's like little did she know she would have got so much action if she went into the, <laughs> the convent. <laughs> <laughs> After all the episodes we've done about the nuns and the nefarious things that happen in convent. <laughs> <laughs> oh my good. My, I always like to make an inappropriate church joke. Once an episode, at least. Of course, of course, at least one. Especially if I'm here, like just let's do I it. I like to do it. Even I like to do it on any good day. It's true. That is true. So we're basically at the end here. But uh, in 1805, she receives an advance from a publisher to write her memoirs. She does write her memoirs, but then the publisher never publishes them. Ugh. But that's like where we find most of like her quotes and stuff about like why she th- like where she like women are better than men, yada, yada. She talks about like when she moved back to France after the official like gender reveal, it was like. She said, I went from being a bad boy to being a good girl. Oh, that's so, so depressing. Yeah. Oh. She ends up dying in poverty in May of 1810 at age 81. 81 is pretty old. Yeah, she made it. She made it all the way to 81. Uh, the end of her life, obviously, much less exciting and financially successful than the early part. But uh, I think that's pretty par for the course for women in the 1700s. Man, well, especially, especially unmarried. unmarried I was going to say, 1700s. especially unmarried, if you don't have, like, because men were the income controllers. Yep. Man, yep. what a story. What a broad. Yeah. But she, I mean, she continues to be famous and controversial long after her death. Like, a full century later, Bram Stoker wrote about her. <laughs> uh, he wrote a book called Famous Imposters, and there's a chapter just titled Hoaxes. And so he's writing about, like, how she was a fake woman and pretending, and it was all, like, nonsense. Uh, so, oh. yeah, Bram Stoker, not a trans ally. Who knew? Who knew? The guy who wrote Dracula. <laughs> but these days she's sort of like a transgender icon. Uh, she's been depicted in TV shows, movies, oh, documentaries. Good. She's, in, like, she's in video games as a, as a character. Oh, my God. I think there's, like, an Assassin's Creed game where she, like, gives you side quests oh my or God. something. Oh, because she's um, a spy. That would kind of make manga. sense because she was a spy and all that. I was just going to say, I'm, like, yep. totally shocked that they haven't, like, posthumously published those memoirs. I, want, I mean, they, maybe they have posthumously. Somebody must have, because people are able to, like, read them and report on them and stuff. Oh. So maybe they're not published. Maybe they're just, like, in archives or something. I don't, I don't really know where they are, and I obviously didn't read them for this, but... Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if they did eventually get published. But the publisher that specifically paid her to write them did not publish them. Wow. Yeah, I would I imagine that would be like some really saucy, some like some good pages, like just like the dirt on Louis oh, sure and the French versus the, like all of that shit, right? <laughs> like that's juicy ass r- tabloid yes. material. <laughs> yes, I'm sure there's some good, good stuff in there. But that is, uh, that's our broad. That's Mademoiselle Chevalier Dion. She's awesome. I, I thought you'd like that story. I totally agree with you about those historians. I don't, about them like, oh, she probably wasn't. No. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't fit our narrative and our belief about what transgender really is. So like, it must not be real. <sighs> like, yeah, sorry. I'm pretty sure trans people have been around since longer than any of our societies have. So. Cis white historians ruining everything since the beginning of time. <laughs> <laughs> since the, since recorded history. Since recorded fucking history. Uh, Chloe, she's so great. Thank you for bringing her. Yeah, I had, a, I had a hell of a time trying to decide which trans broad I wanted to cover. I had like a, a short list of like 15 women that I was like, 
Ooh, maybe her, maybe her, maybe her. I don't know. But I, I yeah, landed on this one because it was one of the furthest back in history ones that also involved like spying and war and yeah. conflict and also has that very stark difference of like, I lived for 40 years as a man and then I lived for 40 years as a woman. And my goodness, are they different experiences? Yeah, like, because even the broads we've had that, like, maybe that we've covered on the pod, I mean, that were sort of trans, like, they would not, they, the word trans didn't exist really in their time, but they, like, lived as men, kind of, and, but they always were recognized mm-hmm. as women and never considered men, so they were never really given those privileges. You know, I'm thinking of, like, right. um, you know, like, Stagecoach Mary and, like, some of those broads that fought in the Civil War and they were never actually acknowledged as men. They just kind of lived their lives without giving any fucks and, and lived that way. But here we have, like, a, a solid example of somebody who socially transitioned, socially slash legally, like, did that transition and then, like, what that meant for their livelihood. Yeah. Transitioned in a way that was acknowledged by the French government. Yeah. What an interesting story, Chloe. Thank you for bringing her. You are welcome. Happy to provide a little sliver of history that I'm sure most people have not heard of. Well, you know, I love a good spy story. So that part of that mm. that part I was super into too. So thank you for, you know, sat- satisfying me on very many levels of this episode. <laughs> I am glad that she's like found some notoriety like posthumously though, that like it warms my heart a little to know that she's not like completely lost in oblivion. You know. Yeah, she was in like a fairly recent like audio only episode of Doctor Who, like one of the like spin-off things that they do for it. Huh. Like she yeah, she's kind of all over the place these days. And she's celebrated in like trans circles like very highly. Like she's sort of an icon. Hey. Well, Chloe, you've done it again. Another great episode about another great trans broad. <laughs> Happy to be of service. To learn more about Chevalier Dion, see paintings of her, and quotes from this episode, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and read more about me and Chloe. Our bios, photos, links to all of our cool stuff, all right there. Have you followed Broads You Should Know on social yet? We are on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends or family, or better yet, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, give a listen to some of the episodes of Trans Broads we have covered on this podcast. We've got Marsha P. Johnson, who supposedly threw the first brick at the Stonewall Riots. We've got Christine Jorgensen, widely thought to be the first trans woman in the United States. And Alexia Salvador, the first transgendered pastor in Latin America. Then come back next week for another trans broad you should know.